Hi everyone, and welcome to this first version of a new type of episodes, a chat, which I plan to do every other month. You may have noticed that since last year, episodes for the podcast don't come out every month, but every two months. And that's largely because this is an effort alongside day jobs and doing a podcast episode with invited guests every month was was getting a bit too much. At the same time, lots of people have told me that they like to listen to the episodes every month. And so instead of writing um, a blog post every other month, which I have been doing, and sometimes with invited guests, I thought I'd try something else and chat to you about all things related to poverty that have come across um, my desk, in my email, Twitter, social media, that I think are worthwhile sharing. And in some ways, this way of uh, talking uh, to you and with you is inspired by Duncan Green, who has a podcast called From Poverty to Power, where every week, I think, he shares uh, the links he liked and pieces from his own blog posts. And I like to listen to those to stay up to date on what's happening in international development specifically. So thank you, Duncan for inspiring me to do this. And I hope it will be equally helpful as your podcast is to people working on issues of poverty and ways to reduce it. So for this first version um, in April, 2023, there's a few things I wanted to talk about that, that really stuck with me this month. And the first one is about a book that landed on my doormat a few weeks ago, and it's called Broke. Fixing Britain's Poverty Crisis, edited by Tom uh, Tom Clark. And it has a set of amazing contributions by quite well-known people from within the UK working on poverty, long history of working in poverty, and they include researchers, journalists, practitioners, and some really striking figures, but mostly very evocative um, reporting on people's experiences of dealing with really a, a new poverty crisis in, in this country. I sit in, in the UK. That's where I live and where, where I work. And yeah, the book is incredible. So I would really advise everybody to read it. It really brings home how much uh, poverty has increased in the last decades in Britain, but also how sharp it is and uh, how dire the experiences are of people having to go through lack of heating, hunger, facing eviction, etc. So let me read you the blurb on, on the cover page or on the, um, the sleeve so that you can get an indication of what the book tries to do. And then I'll talk a little bit more about one specific chapter that really hit me. So the sleeve reads, a dozen years into austerity, statistical warning lights are flashing to suggest a return to types of deprivation we once imagined we had consigned to history. In the decade up to the pandemic, the official count of rough sleepers and recorded malnutrition in hospital patients both doubled, while recourse to food banks rocketed by an order of magnitudes. So this paragraph really outlines the the trends, the, the really disturbing trends when it comes to deprivation and forms of poverty in Britain. And that comes through in all the chapters. And chapters, I should say, that cover a range of different issues about deprivation and poverty. And, and although it's very much indicated in the introduction and rightly so that they're interlinked, it's a nice way of trying to structure 
discussions around poverty. So there's a chapter around hunger, for example, around um, heating, around debt, uh, around disability. And they are good ways to anchor the discussion on these different elements of poverty. Um, and like I said, some of the statistics in here are really striking and, and quite depressing, especially thinking about how this is um, in Britain, you know, a, a country, a high income country that uh, really should have and has all the resources not to let this happen. So, for example, let me read you a paragraph from the chapter on on hunger. And this is about the, the increase in food banks. Food bank use is only one measure of hunger. Not everyone struggling to afford to eat ends up actually using an emergency food provision service. In May 2022, analysis of a large YouGov dataset by the Food Foundation think tank found that more than 2 million adults in the UK had gone without food for a whole day in the previous month, and that increasing numbers regularly skipped a meal. By that autumn, so in 2022, the next wave of the same study suggested that those going hungry for a whole day had grown to 3 million or more. I think this is really staggering that people in this country need to, to do this because they don't have enough money to be able to feed themselves properly. But the chapter that really resonated with me, and that's partly because I just recently finished another book, is the chapter on, on housing, which is called Uprooted. And it's really about the rental market and the insecure living conditions that that gives rise to. And so really renters in, in, in England and in Britain more broadly have quite few rights and they can be evicted with two months notice. And this is called, if and I have to look this up, if I'm correct, this is a no-fault eviction that gives landlords the, the right to uh, push renters out of their houses for whatever reason. So that doesn't have to be any antisocial behavior, for example, or uh, defaulting on their rents. Most of the time, it's because landlords want to sell their house or their property, and that's why they want to push people out and evict them. And so this lack of rights really stops people from telling their landlords about bad conditions, bad living conditions, and asking for things to be fixed, for molds to be removed, for example. And let me read you this paragraph, which really highlights this quite strikingly. The lack of rights fosters a reluctance to speak up, which in turn entrenches dangerous and dehumanizing living conditions. People are putting up with rats, mice, mold, properties without hot water, broken appliances, windows that are nailed shut, says Kim McKee, the Housing Studies Program Director at the University of Stirling. Roughly 1.1 million private rental sector homes, that's 23%, were found non-decent in the 2019 English Housing Survey. You feel like if you complain too much about something not being fixed, they're going to just kick you out, says Tracy. Of course, this used to go by just another name, squalor. I mean, incredible that one in four houses in the private rental uh, market are considered non-decent and that renters do not really have the right to speak up about it and get it fixed. 
And then the, the, the chapter also speaks about, of course, the constant anxiety this causes. You live in poor conditions. You can talk about it or get things fixed. But also you never know when an eviction notice might fall on the doormat. And um, having rented for a long time myself, I know about this anxiety. But of course, the big difference is that I've always been in a fortunate position if this happened, and it did happen on various occasions, I didn't have to worry too much about the cost involved in finding a new place and moving into a new home. The costs um, in terms of a deposit, of course, moving vans, moving boxes, etc. They were all really annoying costs. And of course, there's a lot of stress involved, but, but that doesn't compare in any way to what people who have very little to spend have to go through when they do get an eviction notice, not least because it's also really difficult for them to find housing that's actually within budget, which is another thing that really comes through strongly in in this chapter. So housing, a very, very big issue, and I would say also not discussed enough when talking about poverty. And the reason it resonated with me is because I recently finished another book on this topic, and that's from the US by Matthew Desmond called Evicted. And his book is called Poverty and Profit in the American City. And he won um, a Pulitzer Prize for this in 2017. So I was a bit late reading it. It's six years old now. But the issues are really strikingly similar. The way he approaches this book is is a bit different. So Matthew did um, field research for over a year, I believe, and spent a lot of time with families as well as landlords to really get into the thick of it what's it like to live in these insecure conditions in in many cases non-decent um, conditions and what's it like to be a landlord to make your money off um, having property and and having renters in your property so it's a really deep insight into also a really broken housing market and and really again like in in broke but in a different way brings home the stress, anxiety, and really inhumane conditions that people have to deal with. And and I was struck by the similarities in the conditions between the US and the UK. I read Evicted first, and I thought to myself, gosh, the situation in America is really, really bad. Um, and I would say it is it is worse than in the UK, based on my limited knowledge and reading these two books. But when I read the chapter in Broke, I was struck by really how broken the housing system in the UK is as well and how much of an issue it is for people living on low incomes. So two recommendations and also Matthew Desmond has just brought out a new book called Poverty by America, um, which um, I'm yet to read and I might talk about in a further episode because it's promising to be a really good book and a, a, a strong criticism of why poverty exists in the U- uh, sorry in the US and calling on people like myself middle classes to think a bit more carefully about our own role in reproducing poverty um, so i look forward to to reading that book and i'll come back to it the second thing i wanted to talk about is also in a high income country but a different country a country familiar to me because it's where i'm from namely the netherlands and it's about a podcast that was recommended to me by a friend by a Dutch newspaper called NRC. And this episode, 55 minutes, so a really substantial episode, is about poverty in the Netherlands. It's a journalist who was covering that topic in, in that newspaper 
really providing a very good overview of how many people live in poverty in the Netherlands. By most recent estimates, that's about 800,000 or roughly 5% of the population. How poverty is measured, what the different elements of poverty are, etc. It's a really good overview of the situation. I think it's also really accessible for, for people not talking about poverty too much to understand what's going on and what the issues are. And then there's also a lot of discussion in that podcast episode, which I found really interesting, about the system trying to tackle poverty and the change in narrative in the Netherlands around the need for tackling poverty. So the Netherlands now has a special government minister for poverty reduction. Um, it's the first time. The Netherlands had the same, has had the same prime minister for over 10 years now, and they discuss how at the start of uh, his, his tenure as prime minister, he didn't really want to talk about poverty as something that existed in the Netherlands. So they have a clip of a parliamentary debate and the prime minister, Mark Rutte, says poverty is really associated with something in developing countries and uh, something that we should tackle through development aid. It's not really something that's relevant in the Netherlands. And that tone has completely shifted. So now we have a minister for poverty reduction in the Netherlands. When she got her job, the ambition was to have child poverty. But she's already admitting that this is going to be a really tough call. And that's not least because, um, of course, there's been high inflation also in the Netherlands. And this has really thrown a, a spanner in the works when it comes to the main policy that the Dutch government put in place, which was raising the minimum wage. That was going to be a key policy uh, lever, if you will, to tackle poverty. But because inflation has been so high, the increase in minimum wage was basically just an inflation adjustment rather than trying to tackle people's real living conditions. So that's going to be tough. Um, this is what the minister admits. Uh, but apart from that main policy level not really working because of the cost of living crisis, the episode then also discusses how the system and the way it's set up in the Netherlands also really reproduces poverty. So how a welfare system that tries to tackle poverty can actually make people poor. Um, and so they, they talk about a few things. There was the a child benefit scandal a few years ago in the Netherlands, whereby AI informed system flagged people as fraudulent in asking for childcare benefits. And it turned out in a lot of cases, this, this wasn't true, but, but families were asked to pay thousands of euros back and some lost their homes, etc. So that's a very specific issue, um, but says something about how the system functions, you know, and dares to say that people are fraudulent when really they aren't without proper checks and balances in place. There's another story which they sort of dub the shopping scandal, uh, whereby a mother who received benefits was helped out by her mother. Um, so the person receiving benefits was a single mother and really scraping by on benefits. And so her own mother thought, let me help my daughter out by bringing her some shopping every now and again, some grocery shopping. And when the local authority who decide on awarding benefits or administer the program at the very least got wind of this, they said, well, hang on, that's not the intention. You get benefits to help with grocery shopping. So if you have somebody else giving you shopping, then that should be deducted from your benefits. And so they backdated this and they did some calculations and this single mom was asked to pay back 7,000 euros 
because of the shopping that her mom had done over the years. And this caused a, a real scandal also because they fought it in courts and the court said, no, the municipality or the local council, they implemented the, the rules correctly. So she's supposed to pay all that money back. In the episode, the podcast episodes, they discuss how this has happened previously and nobody really batted an eyelid at it. But now there was a real uproar and the ombudsman got involved. And so it's part of now a growing discussion about the system in place to help tackle poverty is really not helping people and in some cases making things a lot, lot worse. And then this final piece I wanted to share on this topic, I'm going to read to you because uh, there's somebody from the Institute of Public Values, as it's called um, in the Netherlands, who wrote a really good post about this on LinkedIn as a sort of conversation between somebody asking for support and somebody in a, a welfare administration office responding to how they could help. And when it's put all together in the way that it is, it really highlights the complexity and absurdity of the system almost. Let me read you this. And I should say this is a very rough translation from Dutch into, into English, uh, but I think it will bring the point across. So it's supposedly about somebody who has a very little income, needs income support, going to, um, say, welfare office. Um, and so this person comes in and says, hello. The other person on the other side of the desk says, well, tell me, I don't have any money to make ends meet. Well, what is it that you can't afford? Care, health care. Well, we have care allowance for that. Rent. Well, we have rent allowance for that. I have problems paying for my energy. Oh, well, we have a separate energy allowance for that. Then there's my kids. Oh, that's what child benefits are for. Yeah, but they need a lot of things. Oh, well, we have a specialized children's budget for that. I also need childcare. We have a childcare allowance for that. They also need a laptop for school. Oh, there's a separate provision for that. They like sports and actually, so do I. Ah, we have a sports fund to help you with that. Still, I can't get by. Well, in that case, you can apply for special assistance. And I'm a single parent. Ah, there's a special allowance for those. And do you know how expensive the tram and public transport is? Ah, uh, we have a special public transport pass. And what about my food? Ah, uh, you can go to the food bank. And breakfast for my children? And since yesterday, there's a special supermarket voucher you can request. And how about sanitary towels? They're points where you can get them for free. I have to say, I find it really hard to navigate all this. We have a coach for that. I mean, with all those forms, all those different rules, ah, we can help you with a budget body. But can't I just have a little more extra per month? And then I could just arrange it myself. It would also save me a lot of time. No, I'm sorry. That's why we have all these arrangements. So yeah, a really striking way of indicating how many different benefits, allowances, tax credit types, rules there are in the Netherlands. Um, and the journalist points out in the podcast that, you know, he researching this, writing about this, finds it really hard is to get his head around it all. So what about people who have to make use of these provisions and allowances on a day-to-day -day basis to get by? Also knowing that if they provide the wrong information about their income, for example, it will come back to bite them and the government may ask for refunds of such high amounts that it really pushes people um, into deprivation. So 
I appreciate there might be very few Dutch speakers listening to this, but if you do, um, then please do listen to the to the podcast episode. It's really good. I will put the link in the show notes, as I will for all these other pieces I'm mentioning as well. And then the final thing I wanted to mention that I came across is this discussion that took place on various websites and in The Guardian on whether economic growth is a magic wand for reducing poverty. So the Center for Global Development put out a report, I believe in March, where it says it's it's uh, called Scenarios for Future Global Growth to 2050 by Charles Kenny and Zach Gian. They indicate that there's the various scenarios for economic growth. And in some of these scenarios, poverty could be reduced so we could go be could be back on track to meeting the SDGs or at least reduce um, extreme poverty. So that's $2.15 a day. And they put this report out. So really claiming the importance of economic growth for reducing poverty. Now, the UN Special Rapporteur on Extreme Poverty and Human Rights responded to this with an opinion piece in The Guardian saying, Economic growth is not a magic wand for ending poverty. And he made the point that this focus on economic growth is misguided and can actually hurt the poor. And what the special rapporteur, Olivier de Schutter, highlights is that really we should be focusing on reducing inequalities. So he, he argues the focus on economic growth isn't what we should be looking at. We should really be focusing on more sustainability and especially reducing inequality. Now, Charles Kenny has responded um, in a, a post on the website of the Center for Global Development and again also in The Guardian. It was published in, in The Guardian as a sort of rebuke of the Special Rapporteur's comment and said he agreed with a lot of things that the Special Rapporteur argued for, including a greater focus on inequality, but that there's no way of denying that economic growth is important and that economic growth is necessary to reduce poverty. So it's an interesting debate. And and then I also listened to a podcast episode by the, the podcast In Pursuit of Development. There, Charles Kenny elaborates on this. And, and his point is that he doesn't believe in degrowth. And I have to say in the piece by the special rapporteur that he doesn't necessarily argue for degrowth either. But Charles Kenny indicates the focus shouldn't be on degrowth. And maybe a lot of people talking about degrowth aren't arguing that we should reduce our economies necessarily, but we should decouple growth from other important issues such as reducing inequality or great sustainability because we know economic growth doesn't necessarily lead uh, to those things. So a suggestion that trickle-down economics isn't isn't what it's supposed to be. It's an interesting debate. I haven't made up my mind in terms of what I think about this, but it's certainly also a good introduction into uh, the discussions uh, between e economists and social scientists or human rights activists on this link between economic growth and poverty and where we should place the emphasis. So that's it for my April chat. I hope you enjoyed this. Like I said, I will put the links in the show notes. If there's anything you would like me to pick up on in my next chat, which would be in June, because there will be um, a more regular episode with other guests, so you won't just hear me speak, but you will mostly hear somebody else speak in May. If there are things you want to bring to my attention, please do so on social media. You can do that on the Twitter account of Poverty Unpacked, on the Instagram account of Poverty Unpacked, 
and you can email us at uh, povertyunpacked.gmail.com and also um, you can find me, Katie Rulon, on these various platforms as well. And on that note, I hope you'll join us again next time.